Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week we have filmmaker and photographer Sean Tucker on the show. I came across Sean's work while consuming massive amounts of videos on YouTube as I was studying and and researching and learning a bit more about photography. And I found Sean's work and it was just, it really took me aback because it wasn't necessarily the, the normal thing that you see on YouTube and his voice and his opinions and thoughts and, and viewpoint on life was just really um, uh, closely aligned with my own personal views. And I just knew that I had to have him on the show with us to uh, share his journey. So um, it's a very special episode and I'm just very thankful that Sean came on and we talk a lot about um, how Sean found his voice and how important it was for him to keep true to himself and the importance of taking risks and his just his journey in life. So it's a really, really great episode and just really happy to have him here. So um, let's begin episode 178, everybody, with Sean Tucker. Let's roll. As I mentioned earlier, when we we're getting ready, um, it's one of the things that I really adore and love about the internet itself. It's being able to access and interact with other creative minds out there sharing the same struggles and the same successes. And, and this show is, is exactly that. It's, it's not about anything other than the creative journey and expressing that and sharing that so that people can grow and develop and, you know, things can foster in a positive way, hopefully. So Mm -hmm. thank you. I I mean, I, I, um, a little bit of backstory is I found your, videos i started binging on youtube videos uh, to get more into photography (laughs) and i was watching thomas heaton stuff Uh and your work kind of came in and like they're really smart these algorithms that they have now but it creates these weird ecosystems which is kind of a fear of i have of the internet but at the same time that's fine um but i found your 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 um, videos and i love that they have their own voice and i was really thrown when i watched it i was like finally this is here like this is great i don't know how to explain it it's it's a lot of times you get these guys and i'm not trying and i know you mentioned this too is we're not trying to hate it's just weird they yeah. feel like used car salesmen it's like hey guys what's up you know like this is the channel where you learn stuff and i have no idea who you're talking about yeah almost everybody you know and and it's funny because i've done a couple videos and i and and i would you know, my friends are like, why don't you do that? Like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, it's just yeah. not me. I, I, I'd have, I think it's great that they can go out there and do that and, and run yeah. it like that. I have friends that do it and they're very successful from it. Yeah. Um, but I love that you're like, Hey, I'm just, that's just not my thing, you know? Mm. And, and, I, and it's so, it's such a bold thing to, to say, and, and we'll get into your, your backstory and, and kind of paint a picture for the people that might not know you, but that's how I found your work. I found it through, the amazing algorithm of YouTube. And then <laughs> I was just taken aback. And then once I watched one of your videos, I think it was like good light or something. And I was like, mm. yes, 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 yes. He knows what I'm talking about. This is what I've been talking about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I started getting into more of like the stuff that you've been talking about in, in regards to personal stuff. And you're very mm. transparent and it's uh you're very honest and you're welcome. You welcome kind of like, um, you're, you're exposing yourself, which is very interesting. And I feel mm. like is the future of great YouTubers really. I, yeah. I yeah. feel that, but, um, where does that come from? Where, like, how did this, <laughs> this all start? I know we're, we're going to cover stuff and we're going to bounce a bit around, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, to me, that's the gold, but 
when did you decide and how did you decide it? Like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to be this way. Um, it's, well, I'll give you the story. Like, stop me if it gets long. Let me, let me try to unpack it a little bit, but I, I um, for my twenties, so I was, I was born in the UK, but when I was very young, probably about six months old, um, my family moved over to Africa. So most of my growing up was done in Africa. I only, I only came back to the UK about six years ago. South Africa? Um, so, well, first of all, Zimbabwe, then Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland, and then eventually South Africa. Yeah. Wow. You traveled a lot then. That probably yeah, really we, influenced you then. Yeah. Well, I, it definitely did. But I think, I think what people, I mean, I, I talk about it on the channel a little bit, but my, my 20s, for all of my 20s, I uh, was working for the church. So I was a, a pastor, priest, whatever you want to call it. So Interesting. What religion? From, uh, initially with the Baptist church, and then uh, towards the end, I moved over to the Anglican church. Interesting. So is this I think, a family um, thing too, or is this part of your, your upbringing? Not at all, actually. No, my family were all staunch atheists. So me going to the church, they were all telling me I'd been brainwashed and what was going on. And so, oh, interesting. Yeah, was, Very it's, interesting. It's, joining the church for me was becoming the black sheep of the family. It was kind of a bit reversed, hmm. which was quite interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, so so um, for my 20s, it was a lot of working for churches and, and studying theology, eventually getting ordained. And, and the reason I initially went into church work was because I, re- I, I wanted to, I, I, got a, I got a kick out of making some kind of difference. And I worked mostly with teenagers and young adults. And it was really important that whatever I was doing was, was inspirational and sort of pushing people to be better than they were and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I was, I was sort of quite into, uh, especially with South Africa and poverty and that kind of thing, trying to get involved with making a difference there. That, that was a lot of my motivation for, mm-hmm. for going to work for the church. But, um, it, uh, it all fell apart. I was eventually fired in would have been about 2008 now, something like that, 2008, 2009. Um, basically, I, I was saying stuff that they weren't comfortable with. I, I didn't like the way the church would spend its money, you know, I, and I'd say this from, from the pulpit, you know, I'd say, you know, we kind of collect money from you and take ties and the rest of it, and then we spend it all on ourselves again, but we've got people, you know, around the corner literally dying from poverty. Mm-hmm. Or, or the fact that, you know, um, the church tended to treat people of alternate sexualities like crap and sort of couch bigotry and Christian language and that kind of thing, which was, yeah, I, I found it very frustrating and ended up saying some of this stuff and uh, was told basically, if you don't stop saying this stuff, you're out. And I said, I can't really stop saying this stuff because I, I believe it. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was eventually fired and, and I had to sort of start from scratch. But um, the, I mean, I had, I had a friend who sort of put a positive spin on it and said, well, the, the good part about the fact that this is fallen apart is that you can now do whatever you want to do. You can just choose, you know, very, very few people at 30 have a choice to go, Oh, what, what could you do with everything that you know? And you can start a career from scratch, scratch. What could it be? Yeah. So even though it was a difficult thing, you know, and I have been doing some, especially video work on the side of church work. Um, I had, a, I was doing like training videos for companies and stuff like that. So I had a friend who worked for Cadbury in South Africa and he sort of got me into do some training videos initially. And then I did some random stuff. Like I did a training video for an abattoir at one stage, like really random stuff. Hmm. Um, Interesting. and I was pulled into work on, um, uh, Nelson Mandela, when he was when he was still around, had commissioned this series of uh, short films in South Africa that was supposed to promote good values in society. And there were eight films they aired 
on a Sunday night for for um, an eight weeks in a row. And they did a road show around that. And I was sort of tasked with filming some stuff from the road show and then running the videos on the night. So these things were kind of going on on the side and they kind of pulled in some money because the church didn't pay very well. And then when, yeah, when everything fell apart, it was like, well, okay, now I could actually try and make this my job. And obviously I was a bit scared to do it and thought, how does that work? And then kind of slowly got into um, photography and, uh, you know, I was waiting tables for a good couple of years doing it on the side cause it wasn't pulling in enough money and it was a struggle. And, um, yeah, but it slowly started to pick up and I picked up a couple of full-time gigs. I got, um, a job with a company as a, a food photographer, mm-hmm. uh, in South Africa. And then when that ended, I, I, I had a decision to make, you know, like because it had taken me three years to get that full-time position, there were very, very few full-time positions in South Africa like that. And freelancing really wasn't going well. I kind of gave myself three months, to find something else or I'd have to come back to the UK because it was easier to get employment. I mean, South Africa is on between 35 and 40% unemployment, um, which is insane. Yeah. And, and of course, because of apartheid, they have to have quite heavy affirmative action and that kind of stuff to sort of balance and redress sort of the imbalance that's there at the moment from, you know, historically speaking. So it made getting a job very difficult. Um, so yeah, I came back to the UK and I worked for, um, I got lucky and picked up another full-time gig working for a company doing uh, product photography, so large kind of products, um, you know, dining room sets and sofas and all kind of furniture for the house, that kind of stuff, which was very technical but very kind of boring, not very creative. Um, yeah, and then that finished. And, and it was it was actually during that time that I started to think about a YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. I th- part of part of what I loved about working for churches was – that I got to, I really enjoyed speaking to people and I really enjoyed sort of teaching and that kind of thing. And, and I, I like to sort of stick an inspirational spin on it as well. And, and I, I missed the fact that I, I'd worked hard to get fairly good at that. And then I'd lost my context overnight. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I didn't put two and two together yet, but I thought, well, what if I start a YouTube channel? And in about 2015, I did three videos, which were, because I've been doing this furniture photography stuff, I thought, you know, maybe I should do some tutorials around that. Because when I started doing big product photography, I, like everyone does, I went to YouTube to see, you know, where is the how to do big product uh, photography tutorials. And they just weren't there. There was a lot of tabletop photography stuff, but nothing for kind of big products in big studios. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I could do something like that. So I did a three-part thing where I shot and then did uh, two editing videos that went with it. So this was a start to finish from photographing your sofa to getting it on your website kind of thing. Mm. And that did fairly well, but I didn't really care about it. Like I was just, it it, it was fine to do and to get a little bit of exposure, but I just didn't care about the content. Mm. Um, And then I left it. I just left those videos there. And it, it was about a year and a half later, I went on a trip to Snowdonia in Wales here, which is a lovely part of the country, you know, mountains and lakes and the rest of it. And I did... I just decided I was going to take four or five days and just go and try some landscape photography, which is not at all my thing. It's not what I do. Um, I mean, for fun, maybe, but I I wouldn't call myself a landscape photographer. But because I kind of been falling out of love with photography because the day job was getting so repetitive and I could kind of go through a shoot without even thinking about it. I knew exactly how to do it. And we plowed through 50 sofas in a day and I was just it was getting very dry, you know. Sure. So. 
Yeah. So I went on this trip and I thought, well, let's try something I'm not good at so I can try and get good at something different and then maybe it'll refresh photography for me. And I thought, let me just try and and vlog it, film it, whatever, and see what happens. So I kind of made this little film where I was teaching a little bit of the landscape stuff because I knew technically how to do it, but also being honest about the fact that, you know, I don't know how this will go because it's not my thing. Mm. And also being honest about how, you know, exactly what I just said to you, how the day job was getting very samey and I needed to refresh this thing that I fell in love with but was starting to fall out of love with. And people really connected with that one. Like they, they that got passed around a lot. And, and the comments that came through were really encouraging on that. And it felt like what I used to do with the church, if that makes sense. Like yeah. it yeah. felt like speaking to people and inspiring people and and vulnerability is is a massive thing for me as well. And being vulnerable about the fact that I'm I'm a photographer who's a professional, but doing something that I know I could screw up and yeah. you could watch me screw up and being honest about that and being absolutely fine with that. Um, I think people gravitate towards that kind of thing. So that was kind of where and that was sort of mid 2016. That was where my YouTube channel started as a channel before that YouTube was just a place to store videos. Yeah. And I thought this is, is bringing together what I used to do that I loved with what I now do as a photographer and what I've learned as a filmmaker all into one thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I landed there with the channel. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's, it seems like it's really cool that you've kind of connected all these things. And, and then um, I think uh, oftentimes so many of us as creative professionals and you'll probably, you'd probably have the same experience if you were to have gone on to YouTube and made the same thing over and over as I think, we just desire the challenge and in, in exploring new things. And I think we kind of thrive. I don't know if you're the same. It seems like you are, but thrive on, you know, that, you know, just that new or interesting thing to constantly mm. fuel. Um, I think there's a part of being creative that it, it also, you need to be uncomfortable and that uncomfortableness yeah. kind of fuels into it. But yeah, I think you're g- genuine, uh, this is the so the video that you're talking about is a bit more than a landscape photography tutorial in Sodonia, right? Is that the one yeah, you're talking about? Cool. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people that are curious, that's the one cool. yeah. um, that want to watch it and are not familiar. But um, yeah. yeah. So I mean, but I think that's that's just a really important thing. So really interesting story, and it's kind of interesting where you kind of came from from the mm. religious aspect, and then also um, dealing with a system that is obviously somewhat broken, unfortunately, and running through the kinks, hopefully yeah. for those incredibly, it's, it's a sad thing, but hopefully for those people that it does get fixed and changed and adjusted. But I think it's like, um, it's really cool that you found your voice and it's really cool that things like YouTube exist for people like yourself who mm. I think it, I think it, um, neutralizes the situation. You know, I think it equalizes people again, um, YouTube, it does. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's obviously a little different every day. It gets a little bit more oversaturated and there's so many things on there, but I think I still believe, at least I, I feel like I can believe that the good stuff still always rises to the top, you know? So, mm-hmm. and, and I think it got that with yours when the algorithm caught you from what I was watching and other things, you know, cause I was just like binging on photography stuff and then right, right. And the, the art of photography, another channel that's really good. And that, yeah, really, Ted Forbes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And his stuff is really yeah. cool. So, but that's awesome. I think the vulnerability is, is really the, and you being open about like, Hey, like, I'm learning. So that takes a lot of guts, you know, to do that. Is that something, did you have any hesitation while doing this or you were just like, you know what, I have nothing to lose. I'm going for it. No, for me, it's such an important part 
of what I'm doing because I think, uh, and, and it's always been true. You know, it was true with the church. I used to get, um, I used to get in trouble because of um, being honest about how you know um, I was struggling with my faith from the front. And of course, you get emails on a on a Monday morning saying, "Well, you can't say that in a sermon. What are you doing?" You know. Yeah. So it it comes from that already. But but for me specifically with the photography videos. Um, I, I wanted to make videos that I wanted to watch, you know, and, and I couldn't find, uh, I, I don't want to be unkind about this, but I, I want to be honest, like the, a lot of photographers on YouTube, I think are there first to promote themselves. And, and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it, it means that the way that they talk about themselves constantly makes it sound like the phone is ringing off the hook and everyone wants to work with them. And I know for a fact that's not true for most of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it, it when I was coming up, that I found incredibly discouraging. While they're trying to promote themselves and say how successful they are and how everything's blowing up for them, which, which may be true for a couple, but like I say, it's not true for most, made me think that what's wrong with me that the phone isn't ringing off the hook, you know? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I've been a professional photographer for a while now, and the phone is still not ringing off the hook. I'm still making it and going on, but it's, it's not like wildly successful. It's a struggle. And by me being honest with people who follow me, that, that that's what you should expect, especially now. And I think it's getting harder and harder, you know, to keep work coming in and, and to keep things going, that, that it creates a, a reasonable expectation with people. And I think people find it comforting as well, because I think they go, wow, OK, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not screwing up because people aren't just phoning me nonstop. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's even this guy who's been doing it quite a while. It's the same, you know, and another guy who. Do you know Zach Arias? No, it's name so, sounds familiar, but no. He'll, he'll be a guy. Google him on, or so search him on YouTube. You'll, you'll enjoy his stuff as well. But he was a guy who early on, one of the few I found who every now and again he'd make a video and sort of drop something in that let you know he he was being honest about the fact that it was a struggle. And and I found I found that very refreshing early on, and and thought you know I'd love to do that and, and push that even further and be very honest about the struggle. So you know, so every second or third video of mine will be laying out the fact that I'm very lucky to be making money with a camera and, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. But here's, here's where it's difficult. Here's the things you have to deal with. Here's, you know, as you're trying to come up the ladder, just know that, you know, if things aren't working out straight away, that's only normal. That's not bad. That's just how it works. And more and more, that's how it works. So I, I don't think I would be, um, and, and I don't trust a voice necessarily who's constantly sort of pushing their own brand hard, you know, and yeah. I can feel that, that I'm, I'm half listening to an ad and half listening to someone who's trying to give something to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I work with companies quite a lot, um, who are trying to sort of create their own YouTube channels and create their own content to put out there. And, and I say to them, you know, if, if you want people to follow you, um, it has to be 90% generosity and 10% talking about your brand and selling yeah. because, because people smell a sales pitch a mile away now, you know, and, and even if you think you're being clever with it, you're not, you have to just, you have to give without expecting a return and drop in who you are. And and if people feel that generosity, they'll want to follow you and they know who you are. You don't need to scream brand in their face or pretend you're super successful. You just need to say, be honest and give stuff you know, generously. And then hopefully over time, I mean, I mean, I think I'm quite lucky. I, I, it's hard to compare to other people, but from other YouTubers I've spoken to, I've, I've got a lovely level of engagement. And and for me, that's important that, yeah, you're making an ecosystem. 
Absolutely. It's a community, you yeah. know, and it's, it's a really supportive community. The comments underneath are lovely and people jump on with each other and help each other out and creating that space more than just the content. That's really important to me. And, and I won't be as big as, as a Peter McKinnon or a whoever. And I'm totally fine with that because I understand my stuff is, is more niche and that's, that's totally okay. But I love what that niche community is and and I'm I want to protect that fiercely and I know that has to be modeled by me with the content I put out I know it has to be you know this is how we're going to treat each other this is I'm going to be vulnerable with you so instead of trolling each other and you know beating each other up in the comment section be vulnerable with each other and support each other and and that's kind of working and that that for me is I mean, that's, that's the community I want to be a part of. Yeah. And it's also the content I want to consume. So it's definitely the content I want to make. That's amazing. And I think that's great. And that's a testament to, you know, honestly, one of the sad things that I would encounter with YouTube is I don't make comments. I don't leave them. Uh, Mm. I I, I might like something. I mainly just subscribe to people saying, and I would consider myself to be somewhat of a normal user on there. I don't do engagement really because uh, I mean, I just like, if something I don't like, that's fine. I'm not going to, say it sucks or but but like the youtube comments are just like wow this is like the darkest part of the soul the human soul right here Uh, absolutely and it's really gross you know and that was like one of the big things that turned me away from even considering it because i'm quite sensitive to that stuff you know yeah as i'm sure you are as well and we'll talk about that a little later because i know you even have a video about internet trolls and dealing with that and stuff and <laughs> yeah. just just the, the oddness that people it's just like people in their cars and stuff as well and at the end of the yeah. day for the most part if you have any sort of soul and empathy which most of us do thankfully you realize that we're we're all the same we just we we have the similar struggles we have a we were created from a you know um a, two people and whether you know we were we were raised in a certain way and some of us have different adversities in life but some of us mm. don't and, and so what it is is there's a common seed and once we find that common seed it's usually like okay like we can agree to disagree and we can just move on and we can live and let live hopefully and but yeah mm. it's just it's the internet and stuff so dealing with that's got to be really interesting but i really love <laughs> I, I, when I found your videos, I was like, wow, okay. It could, it could just be that this is exactly what I'm interested in. But it was also that I was like, ah, like it felt like a breath of fresh air. And I knew I had to immediately reach out to you because I was like, we got to talk because, um, <clears throat> it's rare. I feel it's rare. And, and I hope that, um, you know, that you continue that, like that to share that like beauty basically, because it's so rare. It's so Thanks, so, man. so it's so rare and it's it's so cool to see you be vulnerable and i think that's exactly what i don't like about other videos is you're completely right it seems like they got it all figured out which i understand mm-hmm. they're putting themselves out there and that's more or less a, a wall and a shield from people going like okay yep. so this guy's a professional okay so now i need to listen okay now it's almost like this weird thing that happens there whereas it's like hey like i'm just learning along the way and I think where you're at in the way you're explaining it and your journey so far is, is much more appealing to the masses of people that are interested in taking a risk and being creative and trying things out. So yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I just, I know it's probably, you're going to change and adjust and grow, but I, I'm hoping that those ingredients still stay somewhat close and that's probably going to be a unique challenge for you as you go Mm -hmm. through and it's like what how are you going to end this is there an end you know like what does it look like for you in five to ten years you know like those kind of things and do you even think about that kind of stuff 
Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of put stuff in place to uh, to make sure that the the tone always stays the same, you know. And um, I mean, for example, um, I don't do product reviews on my channel ever. Um, like I, some of the channels that I've been, you know, I, I used to love, I'm now disappointed with because they they have devolved into the kind of uh, just totally product reviews where they yeah, were talking for point. me anyway, I don't mean it sound like a judgment thing, but for me, they were, I did have more interesting content. Um, uh, and I understand the financial temptation behind that, but th- this can't for me be, be that. And you know, I, I, I've taken on sponsors on the channel, but it has to be, it has to go through, um, a filter for me. It has to be a product I either already use or really want to use and know that people will be interested in. So keeping that kind of integrity, I think is really, really important because otherwise if, if it starts to feel hard sell, people, will, people will go, especially because I'm trying to model sort of some integrity and some, some vulnerability. I have to, it has to run through everything. So, so things like that, um, are very important. Um, and then I think in terms of like the longevity of it, I'm not, I'm not too worried because, I, I will always be learning, you know, I think, mm. I think that's what people are scared of is to look like there's somebody who doesn't have it all figured out. And, and, but we're all that, like we all have a ton to learn still. There's nobody who doesn't, you know? Yeah. So, so being honest about that isn't, isn't really, um, you know, me saying I'm not good at my job. I mean, I mean if you want to pull it apart, I've got a ton of technical knowledge. I really know how to do my stuff, but that's not what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about, what I'm learning and I'll always be learning and, and, and taking people along on that journey is, is, is I think more compelling for people to watch. So, yeah. so, I mean, for example, I've been reading recently, um, like if you know, Joseph Campbell's stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, his whole, the hero's journey and all this sort of stuff, hero, the thousand faces and his is, I mean, his whole thing is, you know, but maybe just feel this is like very, very short is he was an anthropologist who went around and sort of collated stories from around the world, um, different geographies and time periods and people who never spoke to each other and tried to work out what were the common themes in the stories we tell as human beings, even when we don't interact with each other. And what does it say about our journeys, you know? Yeah. And, and the hero's journey, which is that kind of template we use for stories, whether we think about it or not, I mean, Hollywood is almost got it nailed as a template. Um, they bastardize the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sequel after sequel. Yeah. Um, but I mean, mode. that, that that kind of template i think works for anything and and i'm i'm quite conscious of that 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 i want videos over a video on its own and i think that's why that snowdonia one did did all right because it was a bit of the hero's journey in a microcosm you know it's like coming here i'm i, I something's gone wrong in my own life equilibrium's been thrown out now i'm on a journey i'm going to face some struggles and hopefully come back with a gift at the end of it that's the basic nutshell of it <laughs> but but that yeah. also works for for the long term as well you know as people kind of see you struggle along they're on a journey with you and that journey is a true journey because the things i'm learning are the things i'm learning you know and i think um it's why it's why vlogs are so popular you know because people people get to journey you know yeah and i mean that that's a that's a format i i can't get into like that i can't i I could never produce at that kind of volume i only do about like one maybe two videos a month yeah i mean some of these guys are just pumping these babies out i'm like wow like 
Yeah. And I know, I know firsthand how much work and time it takes to get this. It, you got, you got to sit there, you got to plan it out, you got to think about it, you got to go shoot it, you got to do multiple yeah. takes, and you got to go back home and come through it, and then you got to edit it, and you got to put music on it, and then you got to grade it, and you got to do all Whoa. this stuff, and you got to post it up. I mean, it's a, it's a full on full time job. It literally I is. Know. And these I guys, mean, I'm like, like, wow, this is crazy. I like that you only release once a month. That make, makes it special. And uh, in my, cool. in my yeah. mind, I think that like if you oversaturate, I mean, we have a binge society and I'm just as, as guilty of it. When there's something great, I want more of it and I'll just keep doing it. You know, like and I do that on YouTube. I'm like, wow, okay. Like, or like yeah. I'll do that on Netflix. I'm like, this is a great show. I want more of it. And I just keep going. Boom, boom, boom. You know, so, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm willing to wait and then get notified if it keeps the quality and it makes sense for you and your rhythm to wait. You know, there's bands that people get mad about, Hey, they haven't released an album. Like, Hey, at least we have these other albums and like, let them have their creative time to evolve and change. You know, like life isn't about just repeating yourself. You know, it's a matter of growing and trying new things. So how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure you got to be looking at these other guys and going like, damn, they're just pumping them out. Like every other day, it's like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, how are they doing this? And some of them are really well produced and well put together too. And they're, they're, they have good audio and they have good video and it's nicely cut together. Um, but your, your decision for that was what is just, you wanted to release it when it was ready. And how do you know when it's ready? Uh, f- for me, you see, I, I, don't, I think very, very, very few people have something rich and worthwhile to say every day. Um, so, and, and, and I kind of, I mean, my channel trailer puts the, puts the, the, the kind of ethos of the channel right up front. So I've sort of put my mission statement up front and said that I'm not attempting to, post a ton of stuff to, to feed the algorithm and make money off this, but stretch a little bit of content a long way to try and make that happen. Like for me, it's about every video should feel rich and it should feel fresh. Um, and I can't do that every day. I can't even do it every week. So (laughs) that's, yeah, I mean that, so that's for me with, with my limitations, with who I am, with what I'm trying to do, that is the timetable. But uh, people kind of, get it. The guys you follow totally get it. You know, they, every time I talk about it, they'll post underneath and say, you know, take your time. This is what we want to watch. And if this is, this is the the timetable, we'll, we're happy with that, you know, yeah, yeah. because it's, because it's worth the wait. And there's this kind of misperception, I think, which, well, it's not a misperception. It's, it's totally true that, you know, t- if you want to make money off YouTube, it's numbers, you know, it's get as many videos up there as you can to get as many p- eyeballs on stuff, as many chances for it to be found and, you know, hashtag the, the crap out of it and <laughs> build your audience as fast as you can. And that is the way to do it. Don't get me wrong. That's how you, that's how you get the algorithm. But that's not why I didn't join YouTube for fame or money. That's not really my motivation. So is I, it the I don't reach and really, engaging. Is that what you've done it for? Yeah, it's, it's to, it's to do what I used to do. It's to produce videos that I would want to see and it's to inspire people with them. And I, I know reasonably how long that will take me. And, and I've been fortunate. I mean, I'm kind of two years down the track with it now and, and I've just crossed over a hundred thousand subscribers, which isn't, which isn't giant for YouTube at all, but it's, that's, that's with 35 videos. So per video, that's pretty high. And it's, and it just, for me, it just says that you don't have to believe this thing that, you know, you need to post just a little thing every day, even if it's rubbish, just keep posting, just post it. You can actually take your time and do quality over quantity and get somewhere if you play the long game. Yeah, yeah, it takes patience and, and, you know, you need, you need to take your time with it, but 
But I, for me, it's worth it. I, I wouldn't enjoy myself the other way. I burn myself out. I wouldn't be proud of the work I did. And this is the way it works for me, you know. That's great. I mean, everybody has a different flow, right? And I, I know yeah. these guys that are pushing out a lot of content, they just probably just, they're content machines and they're just crushing it, you know, and and some of it's really great and that's awesome. Absolutely. But that's cool. I think the thing that I'm getting at is it's just cool that you've, you're, you've taken what you feel is right and you're, you're trusting your gut to follow what it is because it is true and I completely agree with you. It's like, man, um, you know, like there, the creative process, I think, is a process tied that's tied really, really sincerely to time, you know, and it's very much part of uh, paired with time. Things kind of happen um, very rapidly. I have I've done a lot of research and studied and read a lot of books. There's a couple of books mm-hmm. and we'll talk about books, too, because I can tell you're well read based on all the quotes and stuff that you use. And <laughs> um, knowing your church background, too, I imagine it's comes like second nature. But um, for me, I've done a lot of research on when I grew up, it was, I grew up in a family of artists and, and it was like this whole starving artist thing that I was like, I can't be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a successful artist. I want to be an artist that's going to be able to maintain a great life and live a good life, not a lavish life, just a good life. And what that means is like to be able to do what I want when I want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm 35 now. It's taken me this time to get here. And I'm still, every day is a challenge and every time it's just, you know, it's, it doesn't get easier. The higher things go, it actually gets, I feel like it gets even harder if it, if it makes any kind of sense. I'd imagine for the yeah, same, yeah, yeah. but, yeah. um, I just been studying, you know, like the creative process and the muse and, and studying how to like, you know, maintain that and actually like power through it. And I found some really interesting things through it, but we all have one thing I realize is. I do a lot of talks and stuff. And the one thing I realize is that we all have our own creative flow and some people, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it comes from self doubt or, um, self deprecation and all that kind of stuff. Or it also comes from just being able to have a powerful, creative, open mind about things and willing to take risks and stuff. But what are some of the things that you've done? Cause I know you've talked a little bit about creative block and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. these are things that I, I totally uh, encourage everybody that's listening to this to go and, and sit down and, and, and enjoy what Sean's put out there. Cause there's a lot to take in. And the thing that's interesting about your videos is I don't binge them actually, which is interesting. I like, I'll mm. watch them and I'll absorb it. I'll even break it into pieces and then I'll go away and mm. do something. Then I'll come back to, it. I kind of treat it like this, like little special thing. I'm not <laughs> cool. explaining it. It's, just, it's kind of a little yeah. different. I don't think it's binge binging kind of thing too. It's like you take it in, you soak it in and then you come back when you're ready for more almost, which is cool. Mm. But how do you right. manage these kind of things? As I know you mentioned them and, but these like really interesting dynamic things of keeping creative, trying new things, dealing with creative block and all that kind of stuff. How do you kind of navigate it? I know you mentioned the videos, but I figured it'd be kind of cool to talk about it here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think like, I mean, my, my big ones are perfectionism is always my worst. So I've always got a, um, I've always got this voice in my head that doesn't want to start a project unless I can guarantee somehow that it's going to be perfect before I start. And of course, no project is ever going to be perfect. So it leaves you never wanting to start anything is basically it. So it's kind of that, um, like avoiding risk. I I don't want to, I don't want to risk that this might not be as good as I hope it is. And then I'm somehow embarrassed by it. So for that, like, uh, the the way I've dealt with that, it's almost like I have to trick myself into it a little bit sometimes because it, 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 and I think a lot of people experience this, it can be quite crippling that kind of not wanting to get going on something because you don't have the guarantees. I, I have, I kind of tell myself that no individual project has to be perfect. 
but hopefully like the overall journey is is a is a picture of good work um and it's just sort of calibrating so rather than saying putting so much pressure on the individual project deliberately tell myself that that what i'm about to do with this specific project is is a project i'm going to i want to be proud of the work i'm going to do the best i can but it's also a learning curve i'm also going to give myself permission to to make mistakes and to learn from it and to still put it out there you know to still post it even even though it may get feedback that i don't like and have to manage my kind of sensitivities around it and take the good comments that I can learn from and the rest of it. And it, it's all that kind of self-talk. I, I find that that kind of self-talk is really, really important. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is managing, you know, sort of negativity and comments that come your way as well. Mm. Um, I mean, that's one, I think I, I, I have a weird kind of, um, I have a weird fear of success, um, which is almost, um, I don't want to succeed unless it's absolutely on my own terms. And that's definitely like me being a control freak, no doubt. <laughs> um, but or, or, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to, um, I don't, I don't want things to work out unless it works out exactly the way I want it to, which is such a dumb thing I have to talk myself through as well. I mean, my poor, I've, I've got a, I do speaking engagements as well and I've got, I've got an agent and I, I feel really sorry for her because, because she's constantly trying to set stuff up for me and I'm constantly turning stuff down because it's, it's good, but it's not good the way I really want it to be good or I can't control it or it's, it's a risk. And I, you know, that kind of thing, I constantly have to watch myself cause I will almost sabotage myself. Yeah. But you're if, an auteur. I, I think that's an important part of the formula though yeah you know. oh yeah there's definitely kind of protecting your brand and all that stuff on the side as well so it's it's Not definitely even a brand a it's protecting yourself i would say you yeah know? and, and yeah. you and the interesting thing about what you're doing is you are your brand but i mean when I, people use those words it kind of f- f- like flusters my brain because i'm like no it's like <laughs> no you are like that whole like brown brand talk and agency yeah, yeah, drives yeah. me nuts but like yeah. it's it's you are yourself and and yeah th- for as much as I think you're finding that it could be a potential hindrance, but at the same time, I, I I think it's actually a strength in a weird way where it's, you're attached, you're, you're, it's a part of your process. You know, there's so Mm. many, there's so many artists that I've studied and creatives from all walks of life, from painters and designers and, and, and photographers that some of the, my favorite ones were the ones that were fucking stubborn, you know, and they were, they were just like this, this is who I am and this is what I do. And, yeah. and, and people, yeah. and they, they're frigid and they were hard to work with at times, but they were just, they were brilliant because they were willing to be frigid, you know? So it's just like this yeah. tightrope, you know, and how do you navigate that? You don't want to be an asshole, but then it's like, then you are. And it's like, damn, you know, like, I don't know. I know some really successful, very creative, very powerful people that, like get crushed and get really emotionally distraught when people don't understand what they're trying to say. And I, they yeah. almost become like an infant. And I, I don't look at them as a, I don't think that as a weakness in my mind. I think some people will, I think that of that as a strength that they're willing to be that vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that they're willing to be that vulnerable unknowingly and uncontrollably, you know, which I know is yeah. very dangerous, yeah. especially now when you're completely exposing yourself to the world and the world's audience which is so hard because you're not going to please everybody no you know what's the percentage you think that because you found it you have a decent like large group of people that you communicate with the positive to the negative and uh, and accomplishing what you want what's the percentage of people that 
there's 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 got to be a, like a percentage that are just trolls and then there's a percentage mm. of just negative people vulnerable people sad people and then there's a percentage of medium and then there's a percentage of happy Do, have you found that in like your your i don't know the the, yeah. the data that comes through from you yeah i mean I, i'm very lucky um i mean at the start there was a lot more negativity um, but they've kind of gone. I very, very rarely get someone on there trolling now. Very rarely, because I think, I think when you scan down the comments, the comments are, are so um, supportive and encouraging, not just of me but of each other. That I think people are a little bit ashamed to jump on and start crapping on it. So, mm. I think I, I, I'm super lucky. If, if you're just talking about comments, it's 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 three percent that are negative. It really is like a very high percent of positive engaged people which is lovely and and if someone negative does come on i usually don't have to say anything because someone else will sort them out so it's it's that's really cool that's cool um, your ecosystem yeah, it's great it's almost like it's, you have like antibodies and stuff in there <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and you've built it out and that's really great and people that are willing to to go to bat with you and and stand up yeah. that's really awesome that's i think that's another very rare thing you know mm. i i think so and, I, um, yeah, I applaud yeah. you for not doing, you know, all the typical things, you know, so which is really cool because I know you could. And, and I mean, so much of photography, let's face it, is I mean, I'll post up an image and the main question I get is, hey, what camera did you use? And the, the thing of is, course, yeah. it's like, hey, I appreciate you having interest in what I'm doing, but it almost yeah. makes me feel like a cheap whore or something that like yeah. that what I did <laughs> wasn't about me. It was about this piece of gear. Yeah, you know, and and it's. But you know, it's, yeah. I mean, the the more the more I've gone along, the more I've I've learned to be compassionate for people like that. Yes, because yeah. not not that not that I'm going to give it time. I don't think that it leads to that. But just just to think who that person is, and and often it's frustrated people who are creatives. They they really want to be successful creatives, but maybe they're just starting out and they're not very good yet. And they're they're you know, I mean, social media puts this crazy pressure on you. I mean, you, you know, you think about even recently with this YouTube shooting, I mean, you just look, obviously that's an anomaly, but, but there's levels of that as well, that people feel so pressured to make this work and have fame and success or have something that, that, um, and, and often as well, I see this a lot, especially, especially early on when I, those negative comments were coming through, these are very lonely people. Yeah. And the, this happened more often than not is someone would come on and, and throw out a comment that was, that was derogatory or trying to slam something that I'd said. And, and if I engage with them at all, they straight away turn into kittens, you know, like, Oh, thank you so much for commenting back. I didn't mean, you know, exactly what I, and I just, that's loneliness. Yeah. That's I'm sitting at home and no one's taking me seriously. And I'm really trying my best as a creative i'm not seeing any success and i'm i'm, I'm i want to cry i'm so frustrated so instead most people don't cry they they get angry and they lash out at stuff that is working and they wish they were yeah having that successful reaction and the minute you engage they're just oh gosh yeah actually you know i'm sorry i didn't mean it that way and and just the fact that someone spoke to them and and when i had a few of those i realized I can I can slam these people because I do know most of more than most of them. But what am I doing? I'm I'm beating up a lonely child somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And that's not yeah, kind. It's that's not, good. and I'm not a big guy for doing that. Yeah. So seeing and person. thinking about where it's coming from is is a lot of. I mean, that's helped a lot. That's know? good. I mean, that's it's you're you're talking about empathy, which is a very unique yeah. ta- skill to have. More and more, I think now more than ever. Um, is to have empathy. And I think mainly because 
I think the big problem is, is the internet is actually very new to the human species. Like it's very new <laughs> to us and how we yeah. interact and how we interact and how we use it is a very, it's, I feel like we're almost like, um, we're like a kid driver in a car and we're learning where the gas is and where the brake is and how to, you know, where the gears need to be and how to interact with the steering wheel. And, and I feel like there's a lot of these fumbling things, but when I look at what you're doing and I feel it, I go, wow, okay, this is the future of this. I feel it. It's a future because it's personal and raw and it's actually intimate. And I think cool. all the other things yeah. are not because I feel like they're almost a part of like the eighties ad campaigns, you know, like, <laughs> Hey guys, let's, you know, buy this thing and you're going to be awesome. And it's, that's, yeah. it's, I'm yeah. sorry guys, but that's just bullshit. It's not real. <laughs> it's not true. You know? So, and especially yeah. the game, the, the whole gear game. And I want to talk a bit about yeah. that. And I'm curious about your thing too, because you shoot Fuji to me. When I, people ask those questions, I go, it doesn't really matter course no. the, the the camera game has gotten so incredible we're so blessed and thankful that there's these skilled yeah. technicians and scientists and engineers that have made these incredible tools for us to use yeah. and you have a cell phone that you could capture amazing images with if you have the, the, the willness and the desire to go out there and experience it mm. sure at some point there's a difference between of course a Hasselblad and you know a little point and shoot Totally agree. And so part of gear is effective on the art, but at the same time, it, it really isn't. It just depends, I think, on what you're after. How, how much do you, would you agree with that? Is that aligned with what you think about it? Or is there, you have a difference on what gear means and how, like how important it is to the art form? No, I mean, I'm absolutely with you. I think, I think uh, I put out a video recently sort of talking a little bit about this and just my, my thing is like the, the, the camera you choose is only important so far as it's the right tool for the job. But, yeah. but every camera brand will have a right tool for the job, like obsessing about which brand you use and pixel peeping is, is fine. But, but I think people do that instead of taking better photographs. Yeah. You well, know, they want so an excuse as to why it's not good or good, you know. Exactly. So, yeah. so I mean, I, I shoot Fuji as my daily camera. I've got a little XT20 that I run around with for street photography and travel stuff. I've the got like... Car camera, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice little compact thing. I've got like um, full frame uh, old Canon 5D Mark IIs uh, that I use for all my studio work and portrait work, That's which a lot of people say, oh gosh, you don't update those. I mean, those are like almost 10 years old. I'm like, no, because to be honest, I don't need to. I, I just, I like the look of them and the, the new cameras, if I get a 5D Mark IV, may, maybe it'll have fast autofocus and stuff but really am i going to take better photos because i get that no one will be able to tell that yesterday i shot with a 5d mark ii and tomorrow i shoot with a 5d mark IV. no one and it will cost me like two and a half thousand pounds what is the what is the actual point of doing it then yeah like if if it doesn't help me take better images i'm just throwing money down a hole and, and instead of which which i've become more and more convinced of like if, if your photography is lacking rather spend the money on going somewhere that inspires you to shoot images of a place or people that inspire you and take better images of better subjects that will, that will take your photography to the next level yes. overnight because oh, it will yeah. inspire you and it will, it will get your creativity going and you'll learn a ton overnight, like with whatever camera you have. Yes. But, but we kind of sit at home in exactly the same place in the same context. Or, and it, it's not about travel. It's just about subject. Like we, we shoot the same subjects over and over again and then we shell out 
tons of money and keep shooting the same subjects, wondering why our photography is not getting any better. Well, the, <laughs> the camera is not going to make your photography better. Exactly. It's, it's, it's only the tool. So it's experience. Yeah, I could care. I couldn't care really. I mean, I'm, I, I'm trying to pare my gear down more and more and selling stuff off because smart, it, you know, just, just get, get it very travel friendly. I, I can, I, I love the fact that I'm getting space where I can do a ton with a very little bit of gear. And now it's my job to go out and get better subjects and shoot better images because of what I'm putting in front of the lens, not the lens itself. If that makes sense. Yes, it makes a hundred percent sense. And I completely and wholeheartedly agree that it's not necessarily about that. It's a matter of what you see capturing that and enjoying understanding how light works and also just yeah. how to use the tools properly. But at the same time, I think the the best photography, um, I always had this, um, I traditionally come from illustration, art, and just mm, drawing mm. base. And so I would always look at photography as like, in the beginning, I didn't understand it, but well, it's a big deal, you know? It's like, you yeah. look at something, you take a photo, big deal, you know? <laughs> and I hate, I, I never really understood art that would take explanation. It would drive me nuts, you know? It's like, I'm like, art should be right there. You should feel it, you know? Yeah. And the sure. more I got into it, I was like, okay, maybe it's a little different here. And then I started realizing, you know, the history of things and studying that. And then I started mm-hmm. to get into it. And so I, but I, I hundred percent agree with you because the best photographers and the artists and the people that I really enjoy or, and not, I, I mean, I'm really hard on photographers. I mean, you got to be really mm-hmm. great and you got to be doing something that's unique for me to be like, for me personally, to be like moved by it or understanding yeah. it. I could give like, that's funny. The gear guys I see, they do all this stuff and they're like total like gear whores and they have all these things and they're on YouTube. And then I see their photos and I'm like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just, they're not, they don't move me. They don't mm-hmm. give me anything and they mm-hmm. feel like a shallow experience. And I'm like, I get it because it's like, you're focused on how many pixels you're getting rather than what are you trying to say, you know? And I think there's a total difference there. And, and I think we need a balance of both of those, right? I mean, some of them, you know, they help develop and they push it and stuff and that's fine. But I think you're a hundred percent right. Instead of spending money on necessarily like get yourself a, if you can just go on, like we have a thing, I'm sure. And I think you guys probably have it, but it's Craigslist. It's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Share and trade stuff. And, and so, um, but I, you know, go on there, buy some used gear, get a, you know, like a 50 mil or something or like yeah. a 35 mil prime or something. So it's really fast and yeah. you can just get out and around and buy, you know, 5D Mark IIs are cheap now. Like you can get them yeah. used for Absolutely. a couple hundred, 500 bucks or something for what it is, yeah. what it gives you. It's, it's really incredible and yeah. you go out and experience things, you know, and I think, and then once you understand, once you understand the experience, then it's a matter of like, okay, what's composition, you know? Okay. Now how do I manage light? One of your one of my favorite videos of you recently was the highlights one. And I'm like, yes, okay, uh, you're on the because it's cool. Where I'm on that, I'm right there with you on that. I'm like uh, studying Mind Hunter. I'm studying all these cinematographers because I yeah. I'm I'm obsessed with film. That's what I'm getting into, and that's what I'm cool. going to be doing. But it's yeah. cool. I'm like, yes, you see this too. They're exposing for the lights. It's great. It's like that's so cool. Yeah. Like it's really yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, and I, I, I totally like. I appreciate it. That was a that was another video. I was like, yeah, this is great because cool. It's right along the lines of that, which I think is really special. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, to give you an example of what you're talking about. So last year, I, I probably first in photography terms, I call myself first a portrait photographer. So uh, last year, I went to Namibia, which is Southwest Africa. 
and I shot portraits with the Himba tribe, who are these amazing people who kind of, they rub, rub kind of a red ochre into their skin, so it gives it kind of a red look, and they've got these red clay dreadlocks, and they're just an amazing looking people. Yeah. And I shot images with them that I, I was quite proud of and, and happy with, because I wanted to, again, get better subjects in front of my old 5D Mark II instead of buying a 5D Mark IV, and, and I was really happy with it. But I got back, and I went to get them printed. And I was talking to the guy at the print place. It's, it's a nice print place here in London. And he prints a lot of the Magnum photographers who are ever in the UK. So he really knows his stuff. And he said to me, looking at the images, he said, you know, these are, these are technically really good, but um, I just don't care about them. Like they don't say anything to me at all. And, and he wasn't being unkind. And, and I really appreciate the feedback because there's there's two sides of it like what you're saying you know you you can become technically very good you can have gear that does what it wants but but unless you work out how to how to say something with it it's almost like that's the first half of the journey is to build yes. your technical skills and that's fine that you do that and it's good that you do that you have it's it's great because it's going to give you, you more control. options yeah but control. it's just the start you know yeah then it's a case of going what do i want to say and i know this frustrates some people especially you guys coming up like why do my photographs have to say something i, I hear this a lot why don't i why can't I just shoot a beautiful sunset? Of course you can. Yeah, and that's great. Not? And it, and, and it, that and stands should. on its own two feet. Yeah. But, but do you maybe think about it? Do you want your photography either within a project or a single image or over the period of your career? Do you want to say something? Because that's what this medium can be used for. You could talk about things through visuals. And, and that's the, I mean, that's the thing that haunts me now. It keeps me up at night is what am I saying? Cause mm -hmm. at the moment I still don't feel like I'm saying anything mm. and that's what I'm trying to work through. Getting there. I'm watching your evolution cause I was looking at your oh, photos cool. and I'm like, it's cool. Like I can see where you're going. Cool. And since you're, I, I feel, I mean, I'm just getting to know you, but since I'm aware that you're, you have empathy and you're a sensitive person, you're going to find this case study that's going to hit you. It's going to basically probably land in your lap and you're going to be yeah. like, wow, here it is. This is this thing. And, and I'm using my yep. medium to expose this to the world. You know, it's like, yeah. like National Geographic, I remember when it was quite prevalent when I was growing up would have yeah those photographers that would have that moment and you remember that like that indian girl with those vibrant eyes and like you know i just there's certain carry, iconics yeah. yes exactly yeah. and yeah. that that i mean of course i think you're you hit it on the head is as, as photographer is a very technical art it's very mathematical it's for most part in the beginning of it, it's not it's not the it's like left brain right brain so the mm. the mm. left brain is and the left brain's more logical and then the right brain's more creative i think mm. yeah and so i think in the beginning you're you're using a different part of your creative endeavors at least that's how it is for me it's like man what is this aperture thing and i'm so blessed that youtube has these like videos that will explain so yeah. well and they people yeah. get into techno and i love that they have those resources there for people that want to learn about it but then you're 100% right because after you know all that and you have, and then you go through the journey of acquiring gear. It's so, like, I remember explaining to my wife, like, oh, I need this lens. My favorite lens to use is a 70 to 200 Canon L uh -huh. lens, yeah. the 2.8. It's just the way that I see things in my eye, and I love being able to zoom and change. Yeah. I, so for me, it's, I found when I found, when I got that lens and I explained to my wife how expensive it was, she was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, but I'm like, yeah, it's, it's very expensive, <laughs> but once you have it, then you have it, and there's no, you know, yeah. there you have that gear and it's with you for life. And it's like, yeah. then the art form becomes free because it's basically the world and whatever you want to see and how you use it. And so, um, 
for me, it's like when I found that lens, it's like, okay, like this is what, how I want to see and to explain my voice basically. And, um, what lens is that for you? Like, is there a focal range that you found that's particularly mm. special for you? And, and it kind of says what you feel and, or, or lenses that you, that you enjoy. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, I am a 35, 50, 85 guy. So I, I like, I like those three that kind of Holy Trinity primes. For Human me. eye it's, kind it's, of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, for my five D's, I've got the, uh, this is after I've sold a bunch of lenses recently. Mm. I've got the 35, 1, 4, and 85, 1, Sigma mm. art lenses, which oh, I really love. Yeah. I heard the really Sigma's are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're lovely. And those on like old 5D, uh, Mark II bodies is, is, if I can't work with those and do most things with those, I'm, I'm not a good photographer. <laughs> um, and then yeah. for my, for my little Fuji in my bag every day, I've got the 23 F2, 35, one, four and 50 F2, which is basically around about my 35, 50, 85 for that as well. About 75 actually, but oh, is it like same. a crop sensor thing. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's yeah. a 1.6 or a 1.5 oh, crop. I think. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. so um, I mean between that, like, um, that's, I, I like shooting with primes. I, I like kind of locking in a focal length and then moving to create composition, mm. knowing that the, the kind of distortion of the lens isn't changing. I know it, it can sound a bit snobby and it's definitely not the only way to do it, but I, I kind of get a kick out of it. So, yeah. And I found they're faster too. And they're often a little yeah. sharper too, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, these sigmas are ridiculous. They are, yeah. they are sick lenses. They really I got the are. 150 to 600 just recently and it's so fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a Canon, but it's a lot of fun because I love yeah. being able to just create new compositions. It, yeah. For me, it, it pairs to the designer mind that I have. It's just like, you yes. create compositions. I think with the 35 is, it's much closer to kind of what is, we see a lot in films, I think. Yes. And, but the problem is, if you can't, I'm a control freak. So if you can't art direct everything, you're just like, ah, shit, there's that thing there. And I, I got to go closer. And then like, you're yeah, like, yeah. oh, I missed the shot. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you can I mean, still get incredible stuff. And 35 is just uh, amazing. So I used to be a 50 mil guy that that was my favorite focal length. But yeah. I think cause I bought a, um, a secondhand, uh, Fuji X 100, a little while ago, like the first generation one, which is a fixed 23 mil lens on there. And it's, 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 you, there's no changing the lenses on that camera. And it's, that's about 35 mil. Yeah. And I shot with that for about a year on the street. And for some reason now, especially for street photography, I'm far more a 35 mil guy. Um, so between like, I would say if I could only have the two, it'd be the 35 and the 50 mil. And then I only really use the 85 for studio portraits and everything else is 35, 50. Yeah. Yeah. One, that's awesome. Those. I think it's, it's probably pretty well paired to street photography too. I got the pancake lens cause I just bought the Sony a seven three. Oh, cool. Because nice. I wanted something very really incognito. The one, yeah. pro, the, you know, and we'll talk about street photography now, I guess it's a good shift because I love it as well. And, and one of the things is I, you know, I, one of my favorite lenses obviously is just a freaking huge lens. It's, you can't be incognito and people see that and they're just like, you, yeah. you can't hide that because it's a Canon. It's at 70 to 200. I feel yeah. like I can capture people in a very interesting way. And I like being able to zoom so I can kind of hide hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was cool when I was watching some of your videos too. And you're talking about, you know, the street photography and basically finding a place with light and then waiting. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was reading up on Stanley Kubrick. I'm very fascinated with him as well. And, and mm -hmm. he would do the same kind of thing. I think right. he was in an age where you had to, the techno, techno technique of it was very important and you had to know the math of it 
because you, we can just instantly go like, oh shit, that was good or not. You know, like, yeah, I think the, it makes the art form makes us somewhat lazy and you know, which I love, I love being able to just capture and shoot and I just shoot, I just shoot, 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 shoot. And I don't care. Yeah. yeah I'll just throw like a 64 gig card in there and just go bah, 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 and I don't care. Mm-hmm. And then I come back and, um, but for you, you mentioned, which I thought was really cool and your tactic was quite similar to mine. And probably a lot of people that go out in the street is you find a place with light and then you wait and then you capture. Is that kind of the process that you found that gives you the most creative freedom? Yeah. And I think it's a stylistic thing for me because I'm not really a, I'm not really a people photographer on the street. I, th- I think there's different styles of street photography. So I, I'm not someone who's going to, I'm not a Bruce Gelden, for example, who's going to get in people's faces with a flash to get this kind of up close, distorted, shocked face. That's really, I'm, I'm the opposite end of the scale to that. So I, I prefer shooting spaces. Um, like I, I, I like kind of interplay with light and shadow and the only reason i have people in my shots usually is to give a sense of scale to the space if that yeah. makes sense no totally so, does. yeah so I'm, I'm i'm kind of standing back a little bit with a 35 mil or equivalent kind of lens um where there's where the light is very interesting and then letting people walk through that light and capturing at different points so someone who's been very influential for me for example is a um, a photographer named Fan Ho. Who oh, was working just going to mention that. That's awesome. I was okay. just going to ask you if, um, about that. Okay. Yeah. I love his work. Too. So he, he, he worked out of Hong Kong. Um, I think he died a year or two ago, but just, yeah. and he didn't shoot for a lot of the last part of his life. But I mean, there was a really sort of fertile patch there where he, he, he shot incredible stuff. So I, I, I think, and, and I was shooting this way before I found his stuff, but then someone said, Same. Oh, you, this looks like Fan Ho's sort of work. Yeah. And I looked and, I, and it kind of gave me permission to carry on doing it. Cause I felt like it wasn't genuine street photography, what I was doing. Yeah. And then I looked at his stuff. I'm like, no, this is, this is exactly what I want to be doing. This kind of, you know, ex- again, expose for the highlights, let the shadows fall dark and crunchy and, and use the shadows as shapes and let people walk through. And that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy. Same. So yeah, it makes sense with that style to kind of find the light first um, and wait there because I'm shooting the space and the light and then let people move through. And and I, I'm pretty impatient, so I won't hang out somewhere for longer than two or three minutes. Yeah, and I'll, I'll shoot off 10 frames or something of people walking through and just keep moving and pick the best one later of those 10 and that'll be the one I edit and post. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like to kind of keep moving as well. I don't like to sort of I want to see a lot, basically. Yeah, I love that, and I remember watching an episode. I think you're mentioning. I think this is how I found his work too, is through you. And I, I right. felt the same way because when I would go out and photograph, I wasn't necessary. I was. It's almost verbatim what I was. What you're saying as I wasn't using right. people for the essence of capturing humans. I, yeah. I don't really care for that. I was doing it for scale yeah. and sense of breaking things up, and it that way it wasn't just like a monotonous thing. It was just actually had a sense of scale and. But I mean, mm. it was interesting because I was like, man, what's wrong with me? The way I like things is, is, is very different. It's weird. And like, I'll put myself <laughs> against, like I have friends that are commercial photographers and, yeah. and we always laugh because we're like, dude, we have completely different approaches and just yeah. our eyes are totally different. And I, and I, to me, I, I think that's beautiful because it's like, oh, okay, that's where the art form thrives because the variety is quite unique, you know? And, and part of me is like, man, I mean, the sad thing for me is like, I feel like there's, there's a for me, my photography is mostly an escape to learn to be go to go out and try new things, and it's more or less yeah. a, a life fulfilling thing rather than like this. I'm gonna make a lot of money thing, you know. Sure, sure, <laughs> which yeah. just makes it kind of special uh, in a way. But when well, I saw I think street, 
No, sorry. Sorry, I'm thinking street photography is that, isn't it? Because yes. to make money with street photography is oh, next to impossible. Yeah. But it's such a good exercise, you know. Yes. It, it it affects the way I shoot videos. It affects the the images I take when I'm on like an actual job. Like it it it's I love doing it anyway. But it's also working because I'm training myself the whole time, and it's free form. I don't have to abide by rules. I can do what I want and experiment. And and I think you'll probably find, especially if you're getting into film, it's going to do the same for you as well because it's it's teaching you what you can it's giving you a deep bag of tricks yes you know for when you for when you're filming and whatever else you're doing for clients like it's it's you've got all that logged away you know what works what doesn't different compositional ideas different ideas about different light and all that stuff it's great yes it is and being reactionary and on point and capturing spontaneity and like yeah all those things and knowing your gear fast enough to pull off what you need as as, as quickly as possible and there's really no excuses anymore nowadays especially like <laughs> the camera body i just bought it's on back order so i haven't gotten it yet but it's like it's uh-huh. so psychological like um sophisticated it's so uh-huh. you, you can't miss a focus basically it's like uh-huh. it's like it's just i can close my eyes and capture stuff you know and so it should yeah. be fine but it's mostly about those experiences and capturing those and really um enjoying that capturing moment and, and being able to tell a story too and i think you're you're totally right and when i look at c- cinematographers that i i love like uh cronworth or like um darius kanji and guys you know like shot like seven and 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 like or yeah. you know the guys that shot like blade runner and stuff i when yeah, i look yeah. at the light i go like because i obsess over those things i i'll yeah. sit there and i'll look at a frame and i'll just watch the frame over and over i'll go I'll, yeah. I'll, where's that light coming from how are they like why is it that i love this more than other things and then um, I'll pass by the TV and my wife's watching like a sitcom or like a, like a soap <laughs> opera thing. And I'm like, wow, yeah. like I would never light this. It's so overlit. Or I'll watch like I was watching a film called, um, you remember the original Dune? Yes. Gosh. Yeah. With Sting. Yes. Yeah. When's the last time you've seen that film? Oh, years and years ago. Yeah. It's lit crazy. Like it's lit oh, really? so bright. <laughs> like it feels like Willy Wonka. And it's like, man, <laughs> I almost want to re like reshoot these things. Like, cause you have incredible production design. And if you imagine lighting it with like drama, um, yeah. kind of like Citizen Kane style or, you know, yeah. like Blade Runner would have been really interesting. So, but I don't yeah. know, I'm going on a tangent here, but I know that you're, uh-huh. you're influenced by films as well. Is there yeah. a cinematographer or a series of films that you, um, frequent or are interested or, or, or enjoy and find muse from? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Lubezki is the big one for me. Mm, um, yeah. Chivo, I mean, it, 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 that, that, I mean, all this stuff is amazing, but I mean, specifically the Revenant just kills me, man. That's, that's the fact that it was natural light and how like masterfully he uses natural light in that movie so that every shot is like, oh gosh, that's gorgeous. It's it's intimate and it feels real. Absolutely. Uh, Like, how do you get something that feels so authentic and, and, and was filmed almost run and gun, although it was obviously so well planned. Yes, but still feels incredibly cinematic. Is is he's a master? He's such a ninja. Um, yeah. and worked then, with a lot of really smart people too. I think oh, and a yeah, lot of like brilliant, like you know, um, people that yeah. just pr- propel the art form. And you know, I think but yeah. he also shot with like I think a twenty fourth for the entire film, twenty four mil lens. I think was what he I used. think it was wider. I think it was a twelve because it was some of those were Jeez. super wide angles. So That's he crazy. he's doing and, he, and do you know he handheld? I think it was a 
a, I think it was an Alexa 65. Or yeah. Something for, uh, yeah. No battery and, he, and stuff, just the lens and, yeah. the, and the body. And but, he yeah. handheld that beast, man. So, yeah. so a lot of these shots where you're getting close to Leonardo's face when he's like in pain or something, and it's, it's, the face is stretched across the whole screen because so he's right yeah. up in his face with a 12 or a 14 mil is mad like it's just i i would never have the balls to do that yeah same but, but he it's does too it weird. it's incredible <laughs> yeah i was just yeah. watching revenant the other day because um yeah. yeah i'm fascinated with him and i yeah he's another guy that's just really fascinating because i think didn't he dp like gravity which is totally different and I mostly know, yeah. just completely cgi almost and for most yeah. of it and it's just yeah yeah the you got to respect a, an artisan that's out there doing that because that's a true mm. artist in my book. It's just somebody that's willing to change and try different things. And yeah. Mm. And I felt like the Revenant when I watched it in, in cinema there, there's an off putting thing about distorting it so much, but it was like this weird mm. altered reality, almost like a, yeah. an omnipotent thing, not in a Fincher sense where it's completely controlled and you're almost in a video game, but, yeah. it, but it's like almost like this weird, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like a God view. If that, yeah. if that's the right way to put it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I read it as kind of a bit of madness as well. You know, all this stuff's going on and it's, it's kind of realities being destroyed. There's that last frame of that movie, which, which kills me. You didn't, you, you know, when he sort of just had this fight with a guy and he's, you know, being killed and goes down the river and Leonardo's kind of climbing up the hill coming out and so stops and takes like, he's breathing really hard and all this stuff's coming and he slowly turns and looks straight into the screen. Yeah. And then it goes to black. It's just like, again, like who, who does that, you know, yeah. but it is such an incredibly powerful moment, you know? And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and other guys are like Deacons, like Roger Deacons obviously is incredible yeah, for me. And I, lo I love his stuff. It's just, I love how, I love how, um, cause his stuff is probably lit to within an inch of his life, but he still manages to keep <laughs> it feeling very natural. And I think that's a skill. So, and it relates for, to photography for me, cause that's the photography I love. There's a guy named, uh, Joey L who's a photographer out of New York, young guy. Joey, um, I, um how you spell his last name? Just letter L. Oh, L. Okay. Yeah. So pop, pop him in and have a look at some of his images. But he uh, he he lights very well, but but it, it also keeps it very natural looking. And, and his documentary stuff specifically, he went to uh, Varanasi and shot the holy men on the Ganges. And he went to uh, he he's done some Levatsa campaigns with people who are coffee growers and that sort of stuff, and did kind of a father son thing of coffee growers, beautiful stuff. Uh, he, he, he embedded with the Kurds in Syria and, but again, took a strobe and a medium format camera to go take portraits with them while they're sort of in a war zone, wow. but balances strobe so masterfully with natural light and the tones are quite muted that, that, that kind of, that feel I love. And to me, Deacons feels like that in the cinema world mm. as well. I kind of really like that aesthetic. So that, it's that like works lit for, for natural. It's weird. It's like almost yeah. controlling it. But yeah, I mean, Roger Deacons, it's like when you study him, yeah. I love how open and, and, and he is with the community as well, which is, I oh, think that yeah. leads to his legacy because there's so many Absolutely. people that don't, um, feel comfortable with sharing, you know, and he's just completely like, Oh, you use this and that. And this yeah. is what I was doing. Like he just, I think he realizes like, Hey, it's fine. You know, and his films yeah. are just stunning. I, I study his films a lot cause he shoots a lot with the Coen brothers who are some of my favorites yes. and yes. So like no country for old men. It's weird yeah. because it feels like it's a complete natural light, but it's totally yeah. manipulated, which drives Absolutely. me nuts. Cause I'm like, shit, you know, like I want that He's look, <laughs> but you, you, you have to be a master, not only of the camera, but at, of light at that point. And that's really a very technical 
He's yeah. very, he's very in, in so technical that he's not technical, if that makes sense, you know, at yeah. this point. And you so. can't reverse engineer it because you can't actually see what he's doing to get there very easily. I mean, some guys overlight their stuff and you can clearly see where the light's coming from, where it's gelled and what it's doing. But with him, he's doing it so um, in such a refined way, in a subtle way that it's it's almost if, unless you're very, very conscious of it, it's often almost invisible. And even when it is, you've still got to sit for a while and go, how is he doing that? Yeah. What, what is he just it's like these incredibly subtle fills and he's he's often using he's often using natural light as a base and then just filling from there instead of like lighting the scene to within an inch of his life you know which is which is very uh, i mean blade runner is obviously a different example but also yeah. a stunning movie but like something like um he was kind of yeah sicario was beautiful too yeah. was just stunning man absolutely yeah. and the, the 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 choices i think was really interesting i remember listening to an interview with uh denis villeneuve i think is yeah. how you say his name yeah um but um he was mentioning how like he would have like these arguments with Roger and then his wife would come in like, Hey, like he's just better than you. So just let him do his thing. You know, like every, it was so funny because I think with Denny is yeah. he's an artist in it true and true. And he's very, yes. he has a great vision and he's very yeah. you know, prolific in what he does. But, um, but I thought that was really interesting and, and the way that they would kind of collaborate. But there was a, there was a one scene that I always remember from Sicario is when she like kind of loses her shit and they have an argument, but it's yeah. instead of cutting and being handheld and jarring, yeah. out, like he's, on he's on a tripod he's like yeah a hundred feet away and we're hearing them and i always remember sitting there going like this is brilliant this is such a risk-taking way of doing yeah. this and it's like you're creating tension but you're you're saying like look you guys aren't even this you, what you're saying here you guys aren't a, your big deal the big the bigger picture is outside of your little your little arguments and problems here mm. and I, the thing is is he's mastering for me uh, when i watch his films I, I watch it over and over and over because i'm like what are yeah. you saying here why why are we looking at this instead of that yeah because you know, so much of storytelling as you know and, and especially once you get into video is like how yeah. much control you do have and what you're trying to say and really understanding what you're trying to say and that yeah. is just oh man it's it's very tricky and you have to be so mature and in, in knowing like how long you hold a shot and where yeah. you put your camera and what are you trying to say and how is this supporting yeah. the overall thing and how is it supporting it rather than and not like spoonful like spoon feeding your your audience and like you know uh, which i hate i hate i'm like oh, why did you do that like no mm -hmm. <laughs> i was i was kind of torn though with the work that i saw from blade runner there was some incredibly beautiful stuff and then there was some stuff mm -hmm. i was like what is this what's this like it felt really weird for me i guess it's because yeah. the original is so brilliant visually yeah that it's really kind of hard i don't even i wouldn't even approach that because it's like how do you how do you beat <laughs> yeah. basically perfection yeah. of camera like it's yeah there's not a shot in that film i would probably change it's just so stunning yeah. but yeah I, don't know. I, th I think with guys like that though especially like deacons he's taught me to to make it simpler always and because i think there was a stage where i was buying you know gimbals and sliders and <laughs> you know i think i think you cover up lack of story with with lots of visual interest look how this is moving and a lot of the youtube videos i see everything's spinning and flip transitions and all this it's like well that's <laughs> lovely to look at it's a lot of fun but i i want to be the kind of filmmaker long term who 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 says interesting stuff with whatever i'm doing whether it's on my channel or for a client and doesn't need that and can and can film incredibly simply with just very well composed shots locked off on a tripod and not much cutting and it, and it still holds up because then i know 
the subject matter is great, you know, and, and that's, and I'm not there yet, but that's what I want to move towards now is like a lot less, a lot less flash, a lot less, just lock it down, make it as mature, as well composed and as beautiful as possible and let the subject matter speak for itself. Cause that's what a, a, a Deacons is for me. You know, he's not, I love a Guy Ritchie movie, you know, it's, they're loads of fun. Yeah. Or, they or are like loads a, of fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. True. Or like an Edgar Wright movie. I absolutely love them for entertainment value, yeah. but I, I, I want to be, I want to be a deacons, you know, I, I want to, I want to slow it down and do less and just make every shot sing instead and, and hold them. There's that one shot in Sicario where they're all the, the guys in the kind of tactical gear are, are walking down as silhouettes into the valley. Oh yes. yes. With that sunset setting. Just and very close to what's in no country for old men when, the, yeah. when the world starts to wake up and stuff and the dialogue yeah. goes into, yeah. But yeah. And they hold that shot for 45 seconds or something. I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's very one rare. Shot just, I, it's so so rare but like i love that shot like Same. that when i walk away from that movie i don't remember fast cuts and flashy stuff i remember that shot is burned in my memory because it was so well composed and they let it breathe they didn't rush it you know and, and i think more of that that's kind of what i connect with I'd, I'd love to do more of that you know that's awesome and i think the cool thing is um there's an audience for it if you like it then somebody else is going to and obviously with, um, I think I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I connect a hundred percent. I'm not really into the, um, type of filmmaking. Like I totally enjoy a Guy Ritchie thing. I totally enjoy yeah. And I, I enjoy it because I'm like, wow, I would never do that. And it's totally different, yeah. but it's done really tastefully, if that makes yeah. sense. And it's like, yeah. and it's, and it's really unique and it's pushing, um, the boundaries of things, which I think is really cool, but mm -hmm. it's also just different. But I think when I do, I'm right there with you and I would watch a, a propelled story in cinema and, and, and that very high level, which is, you know, you got to love it with the Hollywood stuff when they nail it with these bigger budgets. Cause it's, you know, you understand first and foremost, like it, some, some of this stuff, it does matter. You get the better actors, you get to pay for those kind of things, but money doesn't always equate the success of things. But, um, for the most part is it does help when you, you're able to get these like a list actors to perform and course, do their yeah. things, you know? So, um, and that's the difference I think between little budgets and, and bigger budgets is being able to get the, the talent usually is, is the bigger draw. Cause then you get that person that just completely willing to be vulnerable, but you also get artisans and, and masters of their craft, like Roger Deakins, who is, mm. is, is kind of, I feel like, um, I think when I remember reading about or listening to interviews with, um, Denny about working with Roger is he would involve Roger very early on as a storyteller as well, which I think is a very smart yeah. move because he's yeah. creatively telling a story with him and you're, you know, you're making these things together. And if you, like, I remember working on a thing and if you're not connected with your eyes, which is your DOP, then you're not connected at all mm -hmm. with what you're doing and you have to see eye to eye. So but I'm yeah. such a control freak. I'm like, I don't even want to be okay. I just want to do it all myself. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That's, I think that's really the future of it. The something thing I want to talk to you about next is, is kind of where do you see the future of this? Because in my mind, it's kind of a scary place for photographers in a sense, because we're getting into so much more video content. And now like the wave of AR, VR, MR is like really taking hold. But at the end mm. of the day, I really subscribe to the idea that if you have a pretty picture, cool. If you have a pretty picture that has a soul, then there you go. And so I think no matter what, that's the important thing, but what are your thoughts and where do you think the future is going and what's the future look like, um, in the industry? And then also for yourself, like let's say flash forward 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for video, uh, and filmmaking, I think 
it's um, I mean, I'm just just on the kind of platform side. I think things like YouTube and the fact that TV is struggling more than ever and people are streaming and making their own content and people are watching YouTube on their TV more and more from individual creators rather than conglomerates. I think it makes it such an exciting time for for people who want to create their own content and, and, and make something on their own. And I, I, I separate that from like make a career. Cause I think it's very hard to make a career of YouTube. Um, I think that's a statistically speaking, used I mean, to be, I, I right? people used to do that. Yeah. Right, I think and it was it, much like, easier. It stopped. Yeah. Then I guess there's like some sort of ad controversy or something. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to this stuff, but I heard that it's like, yeah, you used to be able panicked, to make money. Basically. But, yeah, <laughs> because they're, they're too big to manage themselves now. It's impossible. So, so I mean, the, 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 the adpocalypse is what you're kind of mentioning is what it's been termed. <laughs> it's, it's basically because companies, big companies were having their ads run on videos where they really didn't agree with the content and it was very offensive and they complained and decided to pull their advertising and YouTube panicked and said, oh gosh, okay, sorry, we're really going to check every video. And then they put an algorithm in place that checked through the videos to see if any content was was bad for advertisers, but their algorithm was so ridiculous and heavy handed. I had for a good six months, I had almost every single one of my videos demonetized. And I mean, I'm talking about photography. So it was so ham fisted. Hmm. And of course the first 48 hours when you upload your videos, when you're going to get your biggest spike in views. So when they reinstate it, cause you can, if you're over a certain number of subscribers, you can request human eyeballs to look at it and make a decision. And then you do and they reinstate it, but you've already lost the revenue. So with all that panic, I just say to people, be very, very careful about relying on YouTube and the, the ad revenue you make as, as a source of income. Some guys saw their income drop to 20% overnight. So yeah. we're totally destitute. And it, so don't rely on it These at all. These are guys that like playing video games and shit. And I'm like, you shouldn't yeah. be getting paid that much to play video games. Honestly, I'm sorry. I'm to be a dick, but it's like, you're not even, you're not doing anything. I'm sorry. You're like, hey, guys, playing video thing. game. I'm talking shit. It's like, dude, I don't care. You know, like YouTube love a gamer, man. I mean, they yeah. reward gamers. They, 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 they've even created a sponsor button where you can sponsor channels directly, but they only give that sponsor button to gaming channels. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm they're rewarding whatever. this crowd because obviously it's good for their revenue. Sure. But you know, yeah. I mean, what it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, so that's the one side is the, is the career side. I think it's very difficult to make a career of it. But if you're getting into it for the, for the, to express yourself, it's a really exciting time because you As can you make, should. yeah, yeah, quality, quality stuff. And you can post it in a way that you have access to what are they now? I mean, a third of the world's population can access your content is insane. So if you're willing to plug away at it over time and keep posting stuff that you really believe in, you stand a good chance of at least creating some kind of audience that, that, you know, fulfills you and, and, and speaks to what you're doing. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I agree. so I mean, that's, that's all great. And, you know, I love the fact that cameras are all being democratized, that they you can do incredible stuff with cheap gear. Now and more and more people are making that does make it harder because obviously there are so many people out there making amazing stuff now that it's harder to stand out. That's going to be a tough thing as well over the next however long. But again, like you said, I mean, if you really own a vision and you're not just trying to copy everybody else and you're putting out a bad copy of stuff that's already there, if you're really creating something you believe in and, and you kind of auteur it, then I think, I think you will rise up through, through kind of the, the dross and you'll, you'll, You'll create again some kind of audience. I, I, you know, no one can promise you hundreds of thousands of subscribers, but, but you'll create something. And and as long as you temper your expectations and 
I, I say that to people a lot, actually, because I think a lot of people go, yeah, but I've had a YouTube channel for five years now and I don't have enough subscribers. And I'm like, well, how many do you have? And they're like, well, 25,000. I'm like, well, how many would make you happy? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. if, if, if I asked you three years ago and you had a thousand and I said, how many would make you happy? Oh, I kind of like 20, 20 would feel like a lot. <laughs> and now you're at 25 and that's not enough. There's no amount of subscribers that's enough. Yeah. Actually, and, I've just crossed over a hundred money too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, 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 but it's a great way to kind of build a little bit of an audience. And then I think you can make a living around that. So yeah. I'm going to start doing workshops, for example, and I put out, put out a book every year, which, which yeah, people love street. Yeah. yeah. Street photography, which kind of, I, I let my channel know is there and they can pick up a copy and those kind of things. It means you can slowly build things around what you do. And, and I get invited to speak more because of this thing that you could slowly make a, a living in the mix of everything, as long as you don't rely on ad revenue. And also like yeah. I've got Squarespace as a sponsor, for example. So, yeah. um, you know, those kind of things, if you put everything together, then, then, then in the mix, maybe you can make a living from it, but just don't expect YouTube to be it, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just a lesson in life. You never put all your eggs in one basket, you know, yeah. and you do, yeah. if you need to make a quick like bolt or j uh, push, you know, like I'm going to photography yeah. and you, you go hundred percent, but then there's, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's, I think that what's really interesting is the earth is overpopulated. It's continuing. And that, there's a good thing to that is that there's an audience for everybody at this point, mm -hmm. you know, like there's auteurs everywhere. There's art. Like if you're into like beanie babies and like, I don't know, whatever, like you, you can, you can have a following, you know, if you're into like, yeah. I don't know, woodworking or something, there's, there's somebody yeah. out there that's connected to that in some kind of capacity that wants to either support that or wants to be yeah. a part of it. And if you're, I think if you're, approaching it with like complete honesty and integrity and being open about it. I think that that is the future. I think, I think it's actually the weird thing is I feel that the internet, if it's doing its right thing, it's actually turning um, culture on its head where it's not, we're not disconnected anymore. We're actually connected again. And it's almost creating like a small town mentality, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's a weird psychological thing that I feel is, yeah. is happening too. One thing we didn't talk about, and I know we're probably running up on our time, but one thing I want to talk to you about was, was books and these things that I, I know that you, I'm, I'm, am I, am I right to say that you're well read? You read a lot. Yeah, I do read quite a bit. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm always working through three or four on my, I'm a Kindle guy. So yeah, I've okay. kind of always got a few on the go. Yeah. What are some books that you found that are just kind of unique. They don't have to be inspirational or any of that kind of stuff, but like just yeah. books that you've found that have kind of, I don't know, inspired you or created some kind of a unique, I don't know, gave you something on the, on your journey. Um, I think because I don't actually read that much on photography or anything like that. I'm, I'm, far, I'm, I'm quite interested in history and I'm quite interested in, a human being. So, so I read a lot of that kind of stuff. Like I've got my Kindle here on my desk actually. So I'll, I'll tell you some of the stuff I'm reading at the moment that I'm finding good. Um, uh, like story theory. I'm doing a lot of reading around story theory at the moment, as you can tell, like the Joseph Campbell stuff. But yeah. um, I'm also reading, like there's a book by Neil Gaiman where he sort of lays out mm -hmm. Norse mythology, yeah. uh, which is quite cool. And another one on Steve, uh, by Stephen Fry, who's sort of retelling the Greek myths. It's called mythos. Yeah. And just kind of going through those old myths is quite cool and sort of, um, after reading Campbell, I wanted to kind of dig into some of the specific cultures and see how they told stories. Cause I think, I think what I do, if I do it well over time will be, will be because I keep developing as a storyteller. So going back to the roots of it, I find fascinating. And I, and I love, I love kind of digging into the history of stuff and why did they tell those stories at that time, at that place, you know, what, what were they talking about 
in reality when they were making up these stories and myths and that kind of thing. So like that stuff's very interesting to me. Hmm. Um, then, I mean, I mean, one book which I recommend to everybody, um, which I've, I'm rereading at the moment, I've read like three times, um, is actually a, it's a book by a, um, a Franciscan monk. Um, he's actually in, I think he's in Albuquerque. He's definitely New Mexico. Um, a guy named Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R, and he's got a book called Falling Upward, which I I found such a like paradigm shifting book because he he and it, it's not a it's not an overtly Christian book. He sort of talks about it in you know from the point of view of a lot of world religions agreeing on a particular concept of of sort of the two halves of life. And he sort of lays out that in the first half of life, we kind of build stuff and we construct our boxes and our boxes are like, you know, what kind of job we want, who we want to marry, what, what sort of house we want to live in, where we want to be, how much money, all this stuff, you know, and, and also like what our politics are and what we believe about, you know, the universe and all this sort of stuff. We kind of lock everything down. And he says at some point, like we all hit a crisis and that falls apart somehow or you know someone dies or we lose a job or we hit a crisis point and we have a choice at that point where either we um we just close we go i can't deal with this i'm gonna i'm gonna reinforce this box and hide away forever and the danger with that is it can just turn to bitterness and avoiding the realities of life or we can let the box fall apart which sort of represents all our ideas about the way things should absolutely be and we can move into what he calls the second half of life or the further journey where where we kind of, um, you know, we're more comfortable with paradox. We don't need to define stuff as neatly and as clearly, and we can be more open to things. And and that's kind of the the theory of the book, and he sort of fleshes it out from there. And from my point of view, where kind of my life's fallen apart at different times, I mean, like I said at the beginning, you know, with losing my job with the church and having to start from the ground up and go back to wedding tables at 30, you know, that those were like um, – points in my life where I had to let stuff fall apart. And I'm glad I took the journey because on the backside of it now, I have so much more to say and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so much less anxious about defining and locking stuff down. And I think as a, as a book that kind of applies to anybody at any point in their life, thinking about this stuff, it's, it's a real paradigm shifter, you know, that's mm. not necessarily photography or filmmaking, but just like life in general. It's, that's a really good one. Yeah. Awesome. I haven't heard of it. I haven't read it. So I'm really excited for it. I do audible. So I'm just going to, I walk my cool. dog and I just, you know, sit back and kind of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why I do a lot of self-reflection and thinking about things and, or, nice. and, or abso- absorbing this kind of stuff. And I feel that I look at books as being time machines almost, you know, and you're mm-hmm. able to kind of go into somebody's portal and you're mm-hmm. really connected to it and somehow it's affecting you. It can really, um, add so much to your life, you know, if you're, if you're willing to, to, to embrace these things and sometimes they're duds and sometimes they're not. Yeah. Have you yeah. read mastery before? No. Oh, okay. There's one for you then. So nice. that'll Thank be our you. book exchange. There's two of them. Yeah. There's two, there's two, um, different books that are both amazing. I'd suggest both of them, but if you want to start with one, I'd say maybe the Robert green one, Robert green yeah, has a book it. called yeah, mastery, yeah. but I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, right. He, he basically, it's like, uh, just discussing the, the, the human nature of mastery and what it takes to be, you know, that 10,000 hour rule kind of thing. Yeah. He yeah. does a lot of case studies and stuff, but it, for me, it, it's, it, it was mostly like, I, I love that because I look at like one of my big inspirations is studying like how an Olympic ath- athlete will approach like being the best swimmer. And I go like, well, how can I approach and put that into art? 
and manifest that. And a lot of it's just mm-hmm. manifesting. And I know it sounds kind of weird. And usually when I do these talks, like I'll break my life into like <laughs> these blocks of time, people freak it out. I have like, this chart that my friend Vitaly gave me, but it's like, it's looking at your life in blocks of time. And yeah. basically you look at it as a chart and you go, well, shit, I've used this much time. I only have so much left. And people say it's very, uh, they get really like grossed out by it. But I, I, I think it's like, you need to be aware that there's only so much that you have here and you need it. Basically it's like shake you up and be like, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you're, you're, you're not living your potential. You know, you gotta do it. So, yeah. um, it's all different approaches obviously, but it's a, it's kind of a funny thing, but yeah, mastery is a, is a really amazing book. Well, that's great. It's on my list now. Awesome. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think of it. Cause I think, you, yeah, I, I think, I think you'll really align with it. And if you want more I'll, and, I'll, and I'll let you know how falling upward goes too. Yeah. Um, cool. Thank you so much for being on the show and, and hopefully this is a good, you enjoyed it and, and thank you yeah. for, for putting out all the, the stuff that you do. I think, and I'm hoping that more people not won't just ape you, but will will, will be genuine and and, <laughs> and and see what you're doing, and at the same time being willing to be vulnerable. And and yeah, um, yeah I I personally just appreciate it and I learn a lot from it. So and I'm looking forward to just kind of watching your evolution as I evolve as well, and seeing where you go with everything. It's just really cool, man. Thanks. Now I appreciate you getting hold of me. It's, it's been fun. And there you have it, everybody. Um, just want to give a big thank you to Sean for uh, coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. Um, as usual, you can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 178, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Hopefully this is going to help you be powerful. It's going to help you be prolific. Peace out, everyone. <laughs>